Turn it your Bible again, please. And I will read again. You're hearing only the text <clears throat> from which our messages are being brought. Judges chapter 11 and verse 12 through 28. Not a lengthy reading, but a summary text. Judges chapter 11 and beginning at verse 12. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land. When they came up out of Egypt from Arnon even unto Jabbok and unto Jordan. Now therefore restore these lands again peaceably. And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Ammon and said unto him, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not the land of Moab nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness under the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through thy land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto. And in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, but he would not consent. And Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness and compassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came by the east side of the land of Moab and pitched on the other side of Arnon but came not within the border of Moab for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon king of the Ammonites, Amorites, sorry, Amorites, the king of Heshbon, and Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast. But Sihon gathered all his people together and pitched in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon of all of his people into the hand and all of his people into the hand of Israel and they smote them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coast of the Amorites from Arnon even unto Jabbok and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So now the Lord God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And shouldest thou possess it? Will not thou possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess? So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. 
Now art thou anything better than Bala, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns and Aror and her towns and in all the cities that be along by the coast of Arnon three hundred years? Why therefore did you not recover them within that time? Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou dost me wrong to war against me. The Lord, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Howbeit, the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. Turn with me now, if you will, in your hymn book. Hymn number 492, please stand with me and sing together. Jephthah 
in verse 12. My land, said the king of Ammon, verse 13. Whose land is it? We return this morning to the study of these judges in the national life of Israel and to this astonishing record in chapter 11 of that judge named Jephthah. Some prefer to translate the word deliverer rather than judge. We have seen that Israel is, in previous messages we have seen that Israel is here in this text facing nothing short of a monumental crisis. A crisis the results of which, at least humanly speaking, would determine the very future of her existence. Ammon has come to make war. God, we have seen, meanwhile in the infinite display of his wisdom in his providence, God has raised up his deliverer, Jephthah. And now, we saw last week that Jephthah modeling a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, has sent out messengers, not just once, but twice, to seek peace and an amicable solution to their conflict. To seek some means of averting disaster and restoring peace. But alas, in the 26th verse of our text this morning, there is the horrible news that all of his efforts are fruitless. Verse 28, Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah which he sent him. All of his efforts are fruitless. Fanaticism has prevailed over reason. Darkness has prevailed over light. Folly has prevailed over wisdom. And the carnal lusts of idolatry have triumphed over the peaceful prosperity of a staid godliness. The king of Ammon hearkened not. Many are the lessons from this glorious passage, verses 12 through 18, and we have already seen some of them. But today, 
for just a short time, I would like to suggest to your heart more of the jewels buried in this gospel mind. First, I would like us to entertain this painful and yet needful truth. Here is a great lesson of truth from this text. Number one, the unfathomable depths of our human depravity. The unfathomable depths of our human condition, depravity. Never will you see any other gospel truth in its right light until you see this truth aright. It is the overwhelming trend, and I put that word in quotes, I'm not at all sure that's the best word, but you feel free to substitute your own. It is the overwhelming trend in modern religious society to discountenance this truth altogether. And I fear the disease even moves among God's people to a certain extent. It is the overwhelming trend in modern society to discountenance this truth. That is the truth of the depravity of the human heart. We live in almost a society that is almost a cult of self-esteem. Sins are now called flaws. Or really just mistakes. Or just an exercise of poor judgment. I hear it all the time in the places where I go. They say to children constantly, constantly make good choices now. <laughs> Who defines good? What are good choices? Except those things that agree with God. Everywhere and all over, there is this overwhelming, prevailing cult of self-esteem. And the reality and truth of the absolute and utter depravity of the human heart is constantly discountenanced. But here in our text today, I want to show you how deep is the stain that permeates every aspect of our fallen human existence. And could I just say, 
that as I go through these things, that you and I as saints, listen carefully. This is not a message just for sinners. Even some saints, I believe, struggle and stumble in their efforts for their own sanctification because they have failed to comprehend fully the magnitude of the disease that possesses their old man. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. We even as saints still have in our bosom that old man. And many a time I feel saints struggle because they fail to recognize and be conscious in their being of the absolute power of the depth of that depravity that still clings to them. Some fail in their sanctification because they do not recognize the depth of their own pride. Some struggle in their sanctification because they do not recognize the depth of their own self-love. Some struggle in their efforts at sanctification because they do not recognize their own ignorance. The scripture said, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. So anything short of that is a Mark of depravity. It's a mark of the damage done in the fall. On and on I could go listing things, naming things. I have to look no further, really, frankly. I need search no further or deeper than my own heart to find a whole list of things that hamper my sanctification because I fail to recognize the depth of it in my own heart. The depth. Of so then from our text this morning, I would have you to see just how hard, how obstinate is the human heart. How deep are the depths of our depraved condition. From our text, we see from our text that the depravity of the human heart, whether it be in the unconverted sinner or whether it be in the converted saint born again, the unregenerate heart in its natural condition will defy God's will. Verse 28. He refused. The king of Ammon hearkened not. He refused to hear it. Can I just outline that for you to show you the depths of that madness? In heart Depravity of the human heart will bring it to 
to defy God's will in the face of several things. Number one, it will defy God's will in the face of historical facts. The depravity of the human heart will defy God's will even in the face of historical facts. Here in our passage, Jephthah takes up a lengthy disclosure of the intricate details of Israel's possession of this disputed land. Verse 17 through 22, that entire passage that I read in your hearing this morning, this entire passage is a detail, an intricate detail of all of the dispute concerning this land. He recounts in that passage the plain history that was so well recorded. In Numbers chapter 13 verse 26, chapter 14 verse 25, chapter 20 verses 14 through 17, as well as that all sprinkled throughout the book of Deuteronomy. All of this had been well documented, well recorded, and Jephthah brings the final details, the fine details to bear on this discussion. Every detail of the land boundaries of the parties involved and of the actions that had been taken to secure it. All, all, all is given in perfect order and detail in verses 17 through 22. The historical facts are detailed in this passage. Bush summarized Jephthah's arguments in this way. Bush said, the following, therefore, is the sum of Jephthah's argument relative to the matter in dispute. Number one, the Ammonites had lost their lands in their contest with the Amorites. Number two, the Israelites conquered these lands from the Amorites who had waged an unprincipled war against them. Number three, God, the maker and proprietor and dispenser of heaven and earth, had given these lands by special grant to Israel. Number four, in consequence of this, they had had possession of them for upwards of 300 years. Number five, these lands were never reclaimed by the Ammonites, though they had repeated opportunities to do it while the Israelites dwelt in Heshbon but they not reclaimed them because they knew that the Israelites held them legally. Consequently, every subsequent claim was effectually barred and the present pretensions of Ammon were unsupported and unjustified. But I say to you that such is the condition of the fallen human heart that in the face of every historical fact, they will not have it and they'll defy the will of God. There is here in Jephthah's argument 
such detail and precision of historical accuracy that no reasonable doubt could possibly remain of Israel's rightful ownership of these lands. None, I say, that are reasonable. But then in verse 28 proves again the utter depravity of the human condition and echoes again in resounding tones of deafening madness these words hearkened not. The facts notwithstanding. Surely, blessed Isaiah saw us aright when he said in chapter 1 and verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. O sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they've forsaken the Lord, they've provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head there's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been closed neither bound up neither mollified with ointment. I remind you this prophet is preaching to the people of God. The Israel of the day. Here, here, here in Isaiah. Here's a description of the extent and the depth of the depravity of the human heart. The whole thing is sick from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. It's sick. It's sick. The whole thing is sick. Evildoers, corruptors, gone away backward, laden, with iniquity. Oh, surely that great apostle to the Gentiles, surely that great apostle to the Gentiles speaks in the language of clarity when he says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seek after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongue they use deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the ways of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Let the apostle tell us what the condition of the human heart is. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that's not solved by the disease of sin. Nothing. Oh, 
one might look at the pending conflict that's brought to our attention in the introduction of this chapter 11 of Judges, one might look at it and say, oh, surely, surely if the facts of history are laid out in faithfulness and honesty, surely Ammon will withdraw. But no, no, no. No, no. Not even when the facts of history are laid down. I say to you that such is the damage of depravity that lies will prevail over facts in the heart of the fallen sinner. Well, you say, somebody here is lying. Yes, indeed. And who is it? Who's lying? Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 19 will easily answer that question. The Lord said to Israel, When thou comest nigh over against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them. For I will not give thee the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. Verse 37 of that same chapter testifies, Only unto the land of the children of Ammon thou camest not, nor unto any place of the river of Jabbok, Jabbok nor unto the Cities in the mountains, nor unto whatsoever the Lord our God forbade us. They did not do it. Who's lying? Whose land is this? But then you see, in the face of all this historical evidence, depravity clouds judgment. And darkens light and truth in the words of Isaiah 59. Truth is falling in the streets. Isaiah 59 and verse 12, the prophet describes it. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from a heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the streets, and equity cannot it. I'm trying to get you to see this morning from this text the extent of the depravity of the human heart. It will continue in lies even in the face of every historical fact. Rogers describes these haters of truth very well when he says, 
this teacheth that such are to be found who neither mean well and simply never care what they say. But as their hearts are full of falsehood and deceit, so their mouths are full of lies. The Lord Himself had said, the people of Israel should not, neither did they meddle with the Ammonites. As aforementioned scripture testifies, Yet their king boldly and untruthfully announceth that they took his land and enjoyed it as their own, the which who should not be ready to believe, being so boldly announced, and that by king. Such is the depravity of our hearts that we can tell a lie with such convincing ability. <laughs> Saw a little clip news. I don't watch news much, hardly ever at all. I'm so tired of it. But I saw a little news clip this week. And the communications lady for the White House looked full in the face of this room full of reporters and said the president was not here on Friday. But the fact is he was. But she said it was such persuasiveness. Who couldn't believe it? 1615. Rogers has already addressed this. He says this king stood flat-footed and lied with such boldness. And him a king. Says Rogers, even so, many care not what lies they coin, nor how shamelessly they cling to them, cling to them. And how boldly and impotently they set against the truth in many of their dealings. And this they do either for their own commodity, as this king did, or for their credit. And to set a color on their doings, as the old prophet of Bethel did by lying to Gehazi. Also, when he had gotten the talents of Naaman, or for both respects together, as in Ananias and Sapphira. Instead of this dealing, we see we see the beauty of truth and faithfulness, without which how can men live one with another? Put away lying, therefore, as the apostle willeth, and speak truth every man to his neighbor. And then Rogers draws a lesson to our hearts when he says, In this unreasonable and absurd answer of this king, compared with Jephthah, his wise and equal proceedings, we see the contrariety of men's dispositions. There are some that strive by all possible means against contentions, and unpeaceableness. There are others again whose delight it is to be ever at debate and odds with such as are gladly 
willing to live at peace. And all because they would make a gain or a booty of them that are honest minded. They know that a godly man will buy his peace very dear rather than lack it. And they will lay load enough upon such thereof to see what they can wring from them. Although without all color of equity. Besides, peace is vile and of no price with the unrighteous person. There's nothing to be got by it, he saith. But when the water is troubled, then his season is to cast in, and therefore all his fish that comes to his net. Who seeth not that this king was mischievously minded in that he shapeth such an answer to Jephthah, tending to the undoing of a tribe. So Benadad sends his message to Ahab, you remember. Thou and all thou hast are mine, denied if thou darest. It's plain he was set upon war who sent so proud a challenge as excluding all possibility of agreement. Such there are in all places. And can I just say that includes Baptist churches. Such there are in all places who, if they might have their will, would choose war rather than live in peace. That they might boldly rifle through their neighbor's houses whom they grudge at. Therefore, seest thou an unrighteous person? Then wonder not if thou hear of unreasonableness to come from him, for these two things go together, unrighteousness and unreasonableness. They go together. When you see a man who's unreasonable, you're looking at a man who's unrighteous. Roger says these two go together. Whatever may be the wicked implacability of the heartless sinner, we as saints must maintain the truth always and in every case. I hope you don't take that statement just as some academic platitude. I hope you bring it to bear on your heart. I said whatever may be the implacability of the heartless sinner, we as saints must maintain the truth always and in all cases. This man remained implacable in the face of historical facts, the record of which was plain and had stood for it. said Rogers, as Jephthah here gives no place to untruth, though he prevailed not, herein he honored the Lord in bearing witness 
to the truth. So let us know it is our duty to do, namely to bring the truth to light as much as in us light, if it be but to bring them to shame who resist it, for they work much mischief and iniquity thereby, and to hold sins from multiplying as it doth greatly by lying. Jephthah not only withstands an untruth, but also showeth reason. So we must withstand untruth by reason, approved of all and of the scripture itself. So that they who will not yield to it may show themselves unreasonable. And so they are to be accounted at no better who wash away all sound reason which they are not able to resist, breeding, quarreling, and contention thereby. And so the lesson, so the lesson that Rogers would bring to our hearts go to the record of the scriptures. We have a little personal joke, my wife and I between us. Sometimes when some point or other I may be bringing or think I'm bringing she just starts quoting the scriptures. And we kid one another. Here we go again. You always got to go to the scriptures. That's right. That's right. Just give them the truth. That's what Jephthah did. He just went back to the scripture record and gave him the truth. Just give them the truth. Two sidelights here before I even move on. I'm actually under my first subpoint. My main point I'm trying to give you is a series of lessons from this text. The first lesson is the depravity, the utter, complete, absolute depravity of the human heart. And under that point, I'm trying to show you that it will, the human heart, the depraved heart, will reject the will of God even in the face of historical facts. But I give you two quick sidelights here. Number one, when truth has been fully and finally made plain, as in our text, Jephthah fully and with finality recorded the truth. When truth has been fully and finally made plain, there remains nothing left for us to do but wait for God to arbitrate. Look at verse 27. Jephthah said, Wherefore? I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord, the judge, be judge this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon 
I'm leaving it, he said, in the Lord's hands. I have told you the truth. And now, I leave it to God to arbitrate the matter. I say it again, when truth has been fully and finally made plain, there remains nothing left for us to do but to wait on God to arbitrate. Second sidelight. In case you missed this, what a vast and exhaustive knowledge did this outcast have of Israel's history. Have I not throughout this chapter been pointing your heart to the typology? What a type is Jephthah of our Christ. What a vast and exhaustive knowledge did this outcast have of Israel's history. Is it not a window into his soul? He knew thoroughly the facts of the history of Israel. But this is the man that's been yonder on the enemy's land, cast out. Somebody has been teaching. What a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he stood in the temple and the great doctors and rulers were astounded at his words, where did he come from? What a type. What a type. Jephthah is. But now, I must move more quickly to show you in this text yes, yet another evidence of the depth of human depravity. I said to you it will defy God's will in the face of historical facts. Secondly, I tell you from this text, such is the depth and disease of human depravity, that it will defy God's will in the face of the profoundest precedence. Verse 26 tells us, While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns, and Aurora in her and her towns, and in all the cities that be along by the coast of Arnon, three hundred years. Here, Jephthah brings an argument to the table from precedence. Three hundred years. They have owned this land unchallenged. 
Gil said, these Israelites had dwelt in 300 years. And during this time, neither Barak, king of Moab, nor any of his successors had ever disputed Israel's title to those cities or commended, uh, commenced a war with them on account of that land. But they had continued in the peaceable enjoyment of them so long as 300 years. Someone wisely and succinctly put it this way. They said a title so long unquestioned was reasonably presumed unquestionable. (laughs) But not so for this fool. Precedent had no weight in his depraved soul. Precedent had no weight. Oh, my beloved brethren, we have come to live in an hour in which Dr. Precedent has come to wear the rags of a leper rather than the robes of a prince. This generation, if they read at all, could read of all the glorious dealings in days gone by. Revivals, builders of colleges, and on and on I could go. They could read of it all. But then they throw it all off as if it were no more than Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales. Precedent means nothing to them. They've thrown it all off. They started with our Bible. And now we've degenerated to a day that Even the definition of a home is gone. Been replaced with lies. We come to a day where precedent means nothing. We'll throw away every ancient thing, everything that has worked, everything God has blessed and honored down through time. We'll throw it all off in this generation. I said to you, Dr. Precedent has come to wear the rags of a leper rather than the robes of a prince. Precedent to this man meant nothing. We're living in a generation where precedent means nothing. Whatever happened to modesty in women's attire, men's attire, Whatever happened to the methods that honored God in worship, in hymns, precedent, does it mean nothing to you? Does it mean nothing? Such is the depravity of the human heart. That precedent carries no weight. 
Does not our Lord himself in his sojourn on earth set this doctrine in concrete in one word? Can I just tell you? The Lord Jesus set this doctrine of the value of precedence in his work. He set it in concrete in one word. In his rebuke to those Ammonitish Pharisees of his own day over their heathen teaching concerning divorce. Our Lord uses one word in chapter 19 that's of interest to me. In chapter 19 and verse 8, He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffereth you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. R.K. One word. R.K. Oh, the very word today gives chills to just this generation. But here it is. Here it is. Our Lord spoke it. Oh, you say, but Moses did this, that, and the other, and we believe we could do this, that, and the other, and the Lord said, but R.K., what about from the beginning? What's the precedent here? One word. One word. But Ammon will not have it. Verse 28, he hearkened not. Ammon will not have it. And this generation will not have it. I can't finish my message, but I will give you number three. The depravity of the human heart is such that it will defy and reject the will of God even in the face of, number three, divine prerogative. It will reject the will of God even in the face of divine prerogative. Verse 23 and 24. So now the Lord God of Israel hath disposed the Amorites from before his people. And shouldst thou possess it? Will thou possess that which Chemosh thy, will not thou possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess? So, whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. There is a divine prerogative. God gave us this land. But this depraved heart will not have it. Not even in the face of divine prerogative. 
I have much more to say on that. God willing, we'll take it up next week. If you will, please stand with me and turn with me to hymn number 500. Sing together hymn number 500. Oh, how sad our state by nature is. Our sin, how deep it stays. Satan binds our captives' minds fast in his slavish chains. Savior and my own. 